at dinner parties, you should always avoid the two topics of religion and politics. You ever heard people say that before? Aside from the fact that we can hardly remember the last time that we held a dinner party or went to one, uh, politics and religion have always been controversial issues and people have said, just don't discuss it because it'll wreck the dinner party. But today, I want to address both those things together. Now, normally we don't preach topically here at St Barnabas. Our normal practice is to work our way steadily through books of the Bible. And the reason we do that as our normal practice is because we don't want to stand on our own hobby horses. Rather, what we want to do is let God set the agenda for what he thinks is important. This Bible is his word and we have to listen to what he says and how he says it. But sometimes we do pause and think hard about particular issues or topics, sometimes because it's good to gather together all the breadth of the teaching of the Bible and bring it together in one place because there's lots of different things right throughout the scriptures that we want to think through. Uh, And sometimes we want to do it because the issue is just so current and we need clarity so that we can think Christianly and so that we can live Christianly and respond Christianly about the issue rather than just go with the flow of society or be led blindly by the media media or whatever Facebook thread we happen to be following. And that's particularly the case when there is disagreements between Christians publicly or when there are very real impacts to deciding on something one way or another. And so today I'm addressing these two controversial topics of politics and religion and how they intersect with each other and relate to each other, not not so as to cause a fight amongst us, but so that we might build our unity and so that we might learn how to love other members of our church family well, even when they disagree with us. Now, I'm very thankful that at at Barney's, uh, we haven't had the violent disagreements that have been there in other church communities uh, this has been a very vexing issue and I pray that it will remain that way. In fact, that we can respond in love and humility as we d- discuss these things. And in particular today, I want to unpack what the Bible says about how Christians should relate to and respond to government. Uh, that's been a matter of some debate and it even made the headlines in the newspapers just last week. And the whole reason it's come to the forefront of our minds is because this year our government has been very much at the forefront of our society. In 2019, lots of people didn't know the name of our state Premier Gladys Berejiklian and certainly not the name of the Health Minister, uh, Brad Hazard. But in 2021, a large proportion of the population are tuning in to what they have to say every day at 11 o'clock. And what's more, the whole population of our state are having their movement and much of their lives dictated and even monitored now by the government. Our government has been exercising extraordinary and unprecedented authority over its citizens this past year. And as we know, our church life has been significantly curtailed by government-imposed restrictions, along with every other aspect of society. It's not the churches have been singled out, but we've certainly been impacted by the decisions. And of course, it's all come about because of an extraordinary and unprecedented, at least in our lifetimes, threat called COVID-19. 
There's a lot of controversy and division in our society right now, and that extends into many churches as well. I know from discussions and comments uh, that I've had uh, uh, that there's an enormous diversity of views even in our own church and with the heightened emotions that we're all feeling because of the pressure and isolation of feeling cooped up, there's a danger that the differences in our views might lead to real fights and disappointment and even to division. Uh, the, the, the differences stem largely from different opinions about how significant a threat COVID-19 really is to us as individuals or as a society, and therefore whether the government's extreme measures are justified. But I suspect that they also stem from a prior tendency that different ones of us have to trust or to mistrust authority in general. Now, I think it's very important that, first of all, uh, we put this debate in its place. This is not the gospel. It's okay for us to have a variety of views on these issues, and it's absolutely vital that we love and respect one another in the midst of having different views on this one. There's really no room for slander or hatred towards one another because of a decision to get vaccinated or not, or to protest or not, or or whether we should disregard the injunctions put on us or not. If your concerns about our government or about COVID-19 or vaccines ever become bigger than your concern that we, along with everyone else in this world, are corrupted by sin and facing uh, the impending righteous judgment of God, then I don't want to say you've lost the plot. If you find yourself speaking more loudly and more often about government restrictions or big pharmaceutical companies or COVID-19 than you do about the love and mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins that's available to all in Jesus Christ, who died for everyone and and rose again, then you've got a big problem. That's not to say never talk about these kind of issues uh, or anything else, but but it is to say put them in perspective. Put them in perspective. People's salvation and walk with the Lord, indeed your salvation and walk with the Lord, is so much more important And that should be what occupies the majority of our thoughts, our conversations, our interactions with others. And they should colour what we do have to say and and how do we say and whether we say anything about the other issues that confront us at any time. My prayer is that with an unshakable commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ above all else, that we can maintain the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and, and not just to, for the benefit of each other, but be useful lights to our community and even use this opportunity to advance the kingdom of God, even when we have serious disagreements on other issues. So with all that in mind, how should Christians relate and respond to government? Well, firstly, God tells us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that we should have a general attitude, a general disposition, a general stance of submission and prayer uh, towards our government authorities. In Titus chapter 3, Paul encourages his apprentice to remind the people to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting 
and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. He says something very similar in Romans chapter 13, but, but there he goes a step further to explain why it is that Christians should have this attitude of why we should submit to the authorities. Listen to this. He says, Let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. What's he saying? He's saying that God institutes all governing authorities, and not just the government, but, but authority structures in general. And, and he does it in order to uphold justice and peace and, and to bring punishment to wrongdoers. And because the authorities are put there by God, we should as much as possible submit to our government. In fact, we're to do more than just submit and kind of gradually go along with stuff. In 1 Timothy 2, we're called to pray for the governing authorities. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is God, good and it pleases God our Saviour who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We're called upon as Christians to pray for our government and the leaders as they do their work, particularly so that they'll maintain a peaceful society, so that we as Christians can get on with living godly lives as a witness to others and proclaiming salvation through faith in Christ and the forgiveness of sins. And in all three of those passages, in Titus 3, in Romans 13, in 1 Timothy 2, it's important to remember the context into which Paul was speaking at that time when he wrote it. This wasn't Christians living in a peaceful democracy where they were welcome to be swinging voters and with little danger to Christians from the authorities. This was Christians living under Roman occupation and with regional governors who hated Christianity and, and even within uh, Israel and Judah, so the Jewish authorities that were persecuting the Christians. This was a society and a rule where Christians were going to be arrested and put in the Colosseum to be torn apart by lions for public entertainment. This was Paul, who'd already been arrested and jailed several times and flogged several times for preaching the gospel by the governing authorities that he's urging us to be in submission to and to pray for. And so the commands to submit and to pray to the governing pray for the governing authorities, not to them, are not contingent on them being nice to us. They're independent of who's in charge and what's going on. But that's not the end of the matter, because along with this general attitude of submission and prayer towards our governing authorities, we, we have to remember that what we're dealing with, with all people, those in authority and those not, are, they're sinful and, and corrupt. The, the government, like every other part of society, is made up of people. And the Bible is very clear that there is no one righteous, not even one. Every single human being is a sinner 
And being in authority doesn't change that. In fact, sometimes it exacerbates it. You can see that in the history of the Bible as the corrupt leaders of Israel do terrible damage to the people of God and misuse their position and authority and abuse and steal and hurt and uh, and you see it in broader world history and you know even in, in recent history it tells the same story of how power corrupts time and time again and we shouldn't be naive about that. In fact, it's one of the reasons why democracy has arisen and been so successful because democracy is an attempt, it's an attempt to restrict the power of individuals and to provide accountability and prevent corruption. Democracy is actually there to stop things happening, right? It slows down decisions it, uh, because, you know, you don't do what we like, then we'll kick you out. The government in a democracy lives in a threat relationship with the population who put it in. But even with that threat, it doesn't stop rulers doing evil, does it? But on the flip side, you've got to remember that we're also sinners and so we will sometimes find ourselves tempted to fudge the numbers on our tax returns and to not lodge the right DAs uh, with the local government so that we can do what we want and hope that it doesn't get noticed and you know, we'll kick up a big stink if it does get noticed and say, whoa, whoa, whoa we didn't know, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, you know and, or by stealing, um, violating copyright laws and so on. Uh, we have our own corruption in here and so when we react against someone telling us to do something, that, that might be coming from a place of sin just as much as the rule that they are exercising might come from a place of sin. So that begs the question, when does our government step over the line of corruption so that we should, as believers, in obedience to God, no longer submit to their authority? Is there ever a case for civil disobedience? And and what has to happen before you go and do that? Well, there are several examples of godly civil disobedience in the Bible. You might think of the Hebrew midwives who uh, lie to Pharaoh to save the lives of the newborn baby boys when they had the command to kill them as soon as they were born. Uh, They disobeyed and they were right to do so and God praises them. Uh, Think of the three friends who refused to pray to the giant statue of King Nebuchadnezzar when the music started playing. They they refused and were thrown into the fiery furnace. Or think of Daniel who refused the king's command to pray to no one except the king, right? To stop praying to Yahweh, the God he had followed and worshipped, the God who is the true and living God, and only pray to this mortal as if he was God or the apostles refusal to stop preaching the name of Jesus in fact let's take a quick look at Peter and John's example in Acts chapter 4 uh, which was uh, one of our readings Uh, let me pick up the story from verse 8 of Acts 4 then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them Rulers of the people and elders, he's been arrested this time, uh, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. 
This Jesus is the stone the builders sorry, this Jesus, the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Well, the Jewish leaders, they don't like that. And they consult together in verse 17 and they say, so, so this does not spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Let's tell them, that under threat of punishment, they are not to speak about Jesus. They call Peter and John in and command them not to speak in Jesus' name under threat of flogging in jail. Uh, will Peter and John obey the governing authorities here? Will they submit? Well, no way. They will submit to the punishment that comes for breaking the rule, but they're not going to submit to the rule. In verse 19, Peter and John, they, what's their reply? Whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So while Christians are called on at all times everywhere to submit to the authorities and to pray for the authorities in in general, there are times when it's right in God's sight to say no and to disobey and go a different direction. Now, how do you know when that is the case? Is it because you don't like what they decide? No. Is it because they're impinging on your freedoms? No. Is it because their decisions change the cost of living or raise the taxes? No. So when is it not just okay to disobey, but God would have us do it? Well, there's a guiding principle. Here is the guiding principle. We are to submit to the governing authorities in everything, but never when those authorities explicitly contradict the commands of God. If the authorities require us to sin, then we must disobey, come what may. Just as Peter and John would not stop talking in the name of Jesus and frequently subsequently found themselves in jail for continuing to preach the name of Jesus Christ. We may find ourselves at some point receiving fines or doing jail time for preaching Christ or refusing to bow down to the gods of our age. Now, the most likely way I can see that coming about would be in a refusal to celebrate sexual immorality, including adultery and homosexual behaviour or in continuing to warn people about hell and judgment when our society calls us to accept all behaviour and to stop saying anything that might hurt someone's feelings. Or or they might say to stop speaking at all about Jesus and seeking to help other people to become Christians, what they would call proselytising. If that is ever illegal, I think we've got a problem and we've got to do something about it. The great thing, though, about the democracy we live in is that we continue to have a voice. Along with all the other citizens, we can speak into political discussions and decisions. We can exercise our right to vote in elections according to our Christian convictions. And as Christians, our political awareness is actually important. Uh, And sometimes even activism is important. But even then, it should be governed by Christian principles. It's important for us not to be clamouring and grasping for our own rights and our own privileges as if that's all that matters to God. 
Rather, we should be advocating for the rights and privileges of others and of particular concern to God that we're told over and over again in Scripture, James chapter 1, for example, uh, is the rights and privileges of the poor, the orphan, the widow in our society. We should be advocating for the good of all people and acting in love. And even if and when we are treated unfairly ourselves and unjustly, we can trust that God is going to bring justice in the end. Remember Jesus? What was the example our Lord set for us? He put aside his own rights and privileges as creator of the world. And let me tell you that he had quite a few rights and privileges as creator of the world. But he put them all aside and he laid down his life as he went to the cross and died there for us. Or remember the Apostle Paul. What what was his approach to interacting with people Well, was he standing on his rights and beating his chest to say, you owe me? No, he was willing to put aside his rights and his preferences in order in 1 Corinthians 9 to be all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. So what should our response be to the COVID-19 pandemic and, and what some may perceive as our government's strong response Well, our first response should be prayer. The COVID-19 pandemic is yet another example of and reminder that our world is broken. Many in our society are feeling anxious and uncertain because their stable and secure world is feeling unsteady. And our loudest message, our loudest message should be calling people to repent and to trust in the Lord Jesus. We should be living and speaking of the hope and contentment that we have that can be found in Jesus Christ alone, no matter what chaos might ensue around us. We should also continue to pray for our governing authorities. I mean, who'd want to be trying to govern during the pandemic? Would you want Gladys's job? I'm glad I don't have it. It's completely uncharted territory and nobody really knows what they're doing or what the best way forward is or what the consequences of different decisions are going to be. And, and I think we need to pray for extraordinary wisdom for our leaders so they can make wise decisions for the good of our nation and state. We know that they're sinners. Uh, and so we pray against corruption in our government. And we know that they don't know everything because no one knows everything. Uh, So we pray that they make decisions based on the best evidence that's available rather than just vested interest from those who are making squillions out of this pandemic. But let's explore some of the difficult questions floating around at the moment that I know our members have got ideas about and uh, opinions on that I see really ripping other churches apart. And as I address these questions, please know that I do it tentatively and with a bit of trepidation. But it's good and right for us to disagree with each other and hold different opinions. But here's my take on on some of the significant questions that, that are being discussed. Is the government closing churches at the moment a case for civil disobedience? Some Christians have argued publicly that Hebrews 10 is a command for Christians to gather. Therefore, 
we should keep holding church meetings even when the government commands otherwise and simply wear the consequences. I disagree with that. The government is trying to be fair in imposing restrictions equally across society. They're going to get it wrong, but they're trying to be fair in imposing across society and they're doing it out of a concern for the lives of its citizens. And, and it happens to deem these restrictions necessary to protect everyone because of the threat of COVID-19. And public church services are not the only way for Christians to gather. And frankly, I detect a degree of hypocrisy coming through as well in, in some of the arguments that have been out there. If you've ever skipped church to attend your kid's soccer fi- final or to attend a family birthday function, or just because you're feeling lazy, then frankly, you've got no grounds to suddenly assert that you must now disobey the government and come to church. It's okay to disagree with the government restrictions and to safely protest against them if you think the restrictions aren't justified. And I know that in our church there's a huge variety of opinions on that one, but I don't think there's any biblical ground for civil disobedience on this issue unless it becomes abundantly clear that the lockdowns are extending beyond what can be reasonably justified or are so blatantly aimed at Christians so as to stop the gospel going forward in some way, which isn't the case at the moment. A second question is making vaccination mandatory for church attendance, a sinful government overreach to be disobeyed. Well, again, it's important to note that churches aren't being singled out here. However, unvaccinated people certainly are being singled out. Now, if it were the case that this was ever to become a permanent segregation and exclusion of unvaccinated people from society, that, in my opinion, would certainly be wrong. But no one is suggesting that as far as I can see. The distinctions and restrictions are, at least at this moment, only temporary. And the staff and the wardens are working through the issues this might cause with our reopening plans and strategies. And we've still got a lot of thinking to do about it. And even with the foreshadowed restrictions on attending public church gatherings, that is not the end of Christian fellowship for those who, for whatever reason, are not vaccinated. And there might be lots of different reasons. We are still at liberty to minister to them and they're at liberty to minister to us and to meet together appropriately for their encouragement and edification, even if it's in very limited ways at the moment. In terms of keeping churches open to all, many of you will be pleased to know that uh, our diocesan church leaders, the bishops and so on, have been advocating directly with the health minister to open churches for everyone without distinction. Let me just simply repeat what our Archbishop Kanishka Ruffle has said. He's written this, Jesus is Lord of all and his gospel is a gospel for all. A no entry sign at the door of the church is holy inconsistent with the gospel preached inside, neither race, gender, ethnicity, age, nor economic or educational status or vaccination status are to operate as divisions within the Christian community or barriers to the fellowship we share because of Jesus. 
And of course, there's another big question. Should we get vaccinated or not? And again, it's okay to have different opinions on this. And the arguments that we make one way or another should be informed by biblical principles like uh, love for others, submission to the government, uh, ethical concern for the use of he- who, uh, human embryos in some vaccine development perhaps and more. But the Bible doesn't tell us in the end about whether or not to take a vaccine or any medication for that, uh, for that matter. More than likely, our decision to be vaccinated or not should be determined by other issues like balancing the risks of severe illness with the risk of vaccine side effects. Most of the time with that kind of medical treatment and advice, who we go to? We go to our doctor and see what they've got to say. And I want to say, work it out with your doctor. And I'm so glad that at the moment, vaccination in New South Wales is voluntary and I pray that it will remain so. But what concerns me the most is the mocking and derogatory language frequently being used towards people on the other side of the debate from which one, whichever position we happen to take. And also the pride with which some people, Christians included, are exhibiting at being vaccinated or pride in not being vaccinated as if that somehow makes them a better human being, uh, less sinful, more godly. You are not sinning if you get vaccinated. You are not sinning if you don't get vaccinated, right? You may be sinning in your attitude uh, to either of those things, but the taking or not taking, it might present health risks or so on, but that's not sinful. It may create uh, benefits, but that's not more godly. The love of God, the, the adoption into his family, the hope and grace that he offers are for all who will turn to Christ in repentance and trust regardless of vaccination status. You will be no more or no less loved by God if you get the jab. So stop bragging about it if you have been and stop bragging about it if you haven't been and don't want to be. And stop putting others down if you've been doing that from whichever side you're on. And if you have been doing any of those things, then I suggest you pause this video right away and go and delete that post on Facebook now. Or you make that call and apologise to someone who you've spoken very harshly to and put them down. And that love that God has for us also means we can love others without fear. As Christians, we don't need to live in any fear or anxiety. Right? I mean, if you're anxious, what do you do? Philippians 4, you pray. We trust that God is good. We trust that God is in control. He knows what he's doing. So our lives ought to be dominated by a love for others that comes out of the overflow of God's love for us in Christ, not led by fear which can lead to hate. You can love the vaccinated Without fear, you can love the unvaccinated without fear. If we do happen to get sick or die, well, you know what? That's going to happen to you anyway at some point. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's from COVID-19 or not. Uh, and if you know where you're going and you know to whom you belong and you know that you're loved and you're safe in the love of Christ, then you can say with confidence with the Apostle Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever our views when wherever we land on these issues, I pray that this would not be the cause of division in the church at large and most especially that it's not the cause of division in our own church. We can have different opinions but it's not the same as division, right? It's just healthy discussion. But let me reiterate what I said before. If as a Christian your concerns in any of these areas ever become bigger then you're concerned that we, along with everyone else in this world, are corrupted by sin and standing under the impending righteous judgment of God, then you've lost the plot. If you find yourself speaking louder and more frequently to your friends about their need to be vaccinated or their, the reasons they shouldn't be, then you, then you do about the love and mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins available to all who will trust in Jesus Christ, who died for them and rose again, you've got a serious problem. Now is the time to speak out, but not about vaccination or otherwise. It's time to speak out about the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's currently no laws against that. Let's pray. Father, we want to pray for your mercy on our broken and divided world and we pray for your love and mercy on us. Help us to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to repent of sinful attitudes that we might hold, to repent of fear that we might have and to not be anxious but to pray. And we pray particularly for our government at the moment with the weight of the decisions that they're making and uh, the hard, difficult things they've had to do, we pray, please, for wisdom. Help them to look at the evidences carefully, to consider everyone's, uh, all, all the data and uh, listen well to the concerns that different groups, Christians including, are presenting. And we pray, please, that they would chart a really good way forward. There will be no right answer in the end. Uh, And we'll always be asking, well, what if this had happened and what if we'd done things differently? We pray, please, that they would do a good job. Uh, Help them to uh, listen to each other as they debate back and forth on both sides of parliament and within the parties when there's disagreement. We pray, please, that they would come to a common mind there would be a really, really good outcome. We pray for our own patience in the meantime as we wait for restrictions to ease. We pray that you would help us to love one another deeply from the heart and to know how to appropriately respond even when we disagree with each other. Help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ who really are living in anxiety and fear and struggling with different things, with loneliness Uh, with uh, economic hardships caused by what's happened. We pray, please, that you would help us to uh, be practical in our concern for one another. Uh, Please, Father, be with us. Help us as a church 
to keep growing together and help us to be a light and a beacon to our community, that the way that we discuss things might uh, honour Christ and also that the way that we uphold the Lord Jesus and the salvation that he offers and present it to the world might be so enticing and so loud and so vibrant that hearts will be changed. We do pray for the salvation of the men and women and children and grandmas and grandpas from all the different ethnic backgrounds and social classes in our parish and area. We, Father, we pray for this mercy. Please pour out your spirit and draw people to you through us. In Jesus' name, for his glory. Amen.